This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Bob Brill. He's Eric Kramer. Welcome to Kramer and Brill, a podcast about fantasy football. Each week we bring you analysis that you need to make your fantasy football team the best it can be. And from me, Bob Brill, you get a half century's worth of knowledge on the ins and outs of playing fantasy sports. From Eric, you get the inside info you can only get from a guy who's been on the NFL stage. Top quarterback with Lions and Bears. Eric's up on today's players and lends his deep insights to the game itself. Now, you won't find a better combination for fantasy football. Each week, beginning on Thursday nights, we'll look at the players in each upcoming game, the trends, the insights of uh, more than, you know, just about uh, what you get out of the stats and who has the better stats. So for the first eight weeks, we're going division by division, and we're going to analyze the players on those teams to get you ready for your fantasy draft, whenever that's going to be. Some of you guys wait till uh, really late. Some guys will do it early. Whichever you're going to do, we're going to try to get you enough information to make some uh, intelligent choices. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Libsyn, iTunes, and more. And you can always find the link to the podcast by going to our website, KramerandBrill.com. Now, that site still under construction at the moment. Should be up very shortly. That's KramerandBrill.com. First, let me introduce you to my friend and colleague, my co-host, former NFL quarterback, Eric Kramer. Eric, we are going to, well, let's put it this way. Last week, we talked about your division, you know, the NFC North, sure. which you, know, you played in for two of the four teams there, yeah. as well as some other teams. And so this week, we're going to go to the division that's near and dear to my heart, and that's uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I hope you don't have any problems with that. Well, that's you know, not the division. The whole division is not the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, I, come on. I, you know I bleed black and gold. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. And, Understandable. Uh, you know, it, it's for me, growing up in Pittsburgh in my early, early days, uh, it, you know, the funny thing was we always knew that, you know, when they would show the NFL highlights before NFL highlights became a big thing, yeah. and they would show the bloopers. Well, the teams on the opposite end of the bloopers, the guys that committed the bloopers, the guys that ran the wrong way or whatever, were always Steelers. And it was always tough, you know, but we had guys like Big Daddy Lipscomb. We had, um, even before the, the 70s, when we had Rocky Blyer and Bradshaw and, and Stallworth and Franco, you know, we, we, had, uh, we had great players, but uh, Roy Jefferson, um, but they just never seemed to be like a winning team. And we had a coach at one time, uh, uh, Parker, who his whole idea was, I hate rookies. I don't care who they are. Let me trade 12 rookies who are going to be future NFL stars and give me some third-string quarterback. Right. You know, right, right. who, you know, it's like trading, you know. He uh, wasn't alone back then. Yeah, that's that true. That's coach. true. You know, George he, Allen was like that. Uh, yeah, but George Allen at least had quality players. You know, uh, but, uh, Buddy uh, Parker got just like. But his, in, in Washington, he coached the over his love game. That's you know, true. That's, you know, that, mm-hmm. they didn't get there by. Fluke, right? You know, and that's who they. That's who he liked. Yeah, he liked the thirty-somethings. Yeah, and, and you know, but the, the problem in was, a twenty-something game. Yeah, that, that's true. And but he got guys like Richie Pettibone and and guys that he knew that he had before that were quality players that he could mold. Yeah, you know, Buddy Parker did. Um, well, let's see. Let me trade. Uh, 
uh, future vice president Jack Kemp, uh, or ran for vice president. Let me trade. Um, oh, let me cut Johnny Unitas. Let me uh, trade Lenny <laughs> Dawson for a couple of banged up footballs without air. You know, whatever I'm going to do. <laughs> oh, and let me get Bobby Lane at the end of his career. You know, um, that's the way Buddy Parker was until Dan Rooney came in and Rooney said, "Uh-uh, we ain't going to do this anymore." You're going to do what I do. And he and Buddy Parker went head-to-head. And finally, it was like, you're out. Chuck Knoll's coming in at some point. And then, of course, that started the Steeler dynasty. And, of course, that is what most people think of the Steelers nowadays, you know. Um, so, anyway, I, I said all that just because I have to set something because up. Because you're a crazy Steelers fan. I am. That's why I you am. said you know, all and, uh, it. You know, on the way here, I had to honk at somebody because they had a Steelers fan license plate uh, just on the way here today, so into the studio. <laughs> but anyway, and they probably thought you were mad at them. For yeah, no I, I'm sure they did. I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't give them a one finger wave. I just waved at them, and or I think I gave them a thumbs up, which is fine. Um, so let's start with the Steelers. Uh, you know, we're going to get to the Browns because, believe it or not, the Browns are favored to win this division. Um, but the Steelers pure have speculation. Quality. Yeah, yeah. Steelers have quality players, and I think you have to start with the Steelers at the quarterback position, and that's Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you played this position at 37 years old, just signed a two-year extension. What's Ben Roethlisberger facing at this point when he goes into this season? Because realistically, he has been a stat machine. For yeah, football. he was, I think, probably the best. If not Patrick Mahomes, then Roethlisberger was right there as being the best fantasy quarterback last year. Uh, threw for over 5,000 yards, 34-something touchdowns. And the one thing he had was he had too many interceptions. Right. I think 15, 16 interceptions. So, you know, he he and the new offensive coordinator uh, meshed together, I think, perfectly last year. I think what when you just ask what is Ben Roethlisberger looking forward to, probably a year with no distractions. No Le'Veon Bell anymore. To, he didn't even play last year, but he was a distraction throughout the year you know, whether he's going to play or not. And then Antonio Brown leaves, and the last game of the season leaves the team hanging, decides not to play. And I think he comes back fresh, I'm talking about Roethlisberger, in already having a great year offensively and has gotten rid of two of the biggest issues uh, on the team roster-wise. I think Mike Tomlin finds himself a little bit in a – you know, he's 13 years now as a head coach with the Steelers. But it's been a while since they won a playoff game. That's true. And they've gotten rid of some uh, Joey Porter as an assistant uh, linebacker coach who left. But then they also lost Mike Munchak, who was a great that offensive a, line coach. That was a, a big loss. I was really sorry to see that happen because the Steelers have had this great offensive line. I mean, Ben stands up all the time now instead of, you know, ending up on his back and getting hurt, which yeah. is a big potential. For yeah, and, and I think that, the, you know, when you offensively, offensive line, running back, quarterback, receivers, they are about as solid as you can get in any, on any team in the NFL right now. When you look at Roethlisberger's numbers, uh, like I said, I mean, he's the only quarterback, I believe, that's ever thrown f- for 500 yards twice in a, in a season. And, you know, we talk about him being a stat machine. I could never understand why, though, and I've had Ben on my fantasy teams almost since the beginning, and uh, but I could never understand why most fantasy experts, quote-unquote, rate him barely in the top 10 of, of quarterbacks. And I, I could never understand that. I mean, explain this to me. Why? I don't know. Um, um, what I would guess is that he doesn't really do it in a 
uh, artistic fashion. Whereas a guy like Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. seems like he can throw the ball from 55 different angles. Right. And just makes it look effortless. Whereas Ben, you have to look up at the end of the game to realize he threw for 500 yards. Right. He doesn't look like he's doing it while he's doing it. He doesn't move around um, as well as he did in, in his younger days. He's 37 now mm-hmm. or about to be. Um so I don't know the answer to your question as to why he doesn't get the credit that it seems obvious he should, especially to all obvious Steeler fans mm-hmm. like yourself. But um, looking at it in a fantasy perspective um, and giving it some thought, it's potentially I think Ben could take a step statistically backwards this year, not because of poor play, but because they need to win games. Mm-hmm. And um, Mike Tolman knows he's got to win games. Mm-hmm. I think this, their play calling could shift a little bit. They've got a young, healthy running back in James Conner. They've got an extent, outstanding offensive line. But yet they did not reach their potential in terms of how they ran the football last right. year. And if they want to win games, I think if you can run the ball successfully and play good defense, which they can do, they've got an exceptional defense. And they're better this year because they picked up some good free agents, a quarterback, and, and it's a strong safety. There you go. So I think their recipe for success as a team and to win games, they blew a chance to get to basically walk into yeah. the playoffs last year by losing games at the end of the season where defensively they had some big letdowns. At the end of the game, they gave up fourth-quarter touchdowns very late in the game to lose those games. And, and my point was going to be exactly that if you want to win those games at the end of the year, don't you shouldn't be three and out passing the football. Mm-hmm. You should be running the ball, eating up the clock, scoring touchdowns or kicking field goals, and have time of possession in your favor late in the season, which is how you get into the playoffs. Let's talk about the receivers because we look at the situation where you lose Antonio Brown. It's hard to lose an Antonio Brown and make that up. Now, the big question is, uh, Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster came on strong second year. Uh, USC receivers are always great. I mean, Mike Evans. <laughs> In Pittsburgh, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's swan. And, um, but, you know, uh, it... Schuster is a great – to me, he's the new Heinz Ward. Okay. Okay. And – but last year and the year before, he didn't get the he, – he was open uh, more easily because Antonio was always double. Mm-hmm. Well, Antonio's gone. So Schuster becomes number one. And the big question a lot of fantasy – almost every fantasy owner is asking, is Smith-Schuster going to have the same type of year – because he's going to be the, the guy doubled now, and that leaves the door open for uh, Dante Moncrief, who's newly acquired, as well as James Washington, who I, I think is going to be an outstanding wide receiver. And you also have Eli Rogers, who may or may not make the team. So what do you think about uh, Juju? Well, as you just mentioned, you compared Juju Smith-Schuster to Heinz Ward. And what if you remember about Heinz Ward is he could play inside or outside. Mm-hmm. He was a move receiver, so they kept him – he was a great blocker. They could chip him out of the backfield. They could move him around and get certain matchups inside against a nickel corner. And any team's nickel corner is, by definition, their third best corner. So I think that's what you're going to find with um, Juju initially is that they're going to move him around and find identical or ideal matchups for him, whether it's inside, outside. They do need another receiver to step up. Um, potentially that could be James Washington. And uh, I don't see why it wouldn't be. 
but they definitely need somebody to take, you know, they need a receiver to catch, I don't, let's, let's call it 60, 65 passes mm-hmm. next year and uh, take some of the, the heat away from Juju Smith-Schuster, and they've got to have a tight end come up. But they also, if you remember, uh, you know, James Conner, he caught 55 passes himself right. last year. He's a natural receiver coming out of the backfield. I know what the Steelers, uh, the, they, they've always said the offensive players, because people always ask them, you know, uh, about their running game. And uh, Ben's answer has always been, well, we use the, the flat pass, the screen pass, the short passes as part of our running game. I mean, that's, that's the modern NFL, and they do that very well. Uh, when it comes to um, Connor, uh, he's become that outstanding uh, receiver as well as a good strong runner and I like the fact that they do that a lot because it uh, well first of all it ups production for Roethlisberger and also uh, ups uh, fantasy production for Connor which is a big thing and I, I think Connor is is on the verge he's not Shaquan Barkley but or some of the other guys of that ilk uh, but he is I think just a notch below that well he, it's, he's only going he, what he's coming into his third year right so he's all of his best football theoretically is in front of him and he's you know you can look at it he's taken a couple years to get uh, acclimated with his offense he's a hometown guy went to University right. of Pittsburgh um, he's going to have collar a collar guy he's going to have a long steady career in Pittsburgh being very productive as you said it all did and I think his production is going to go up this year not down I think there's going to be a shift away from relying so heavily on the passing game mm-hmm. to now start to breaking up into the running game. And as you said, more screen passes, more short down, short yardage throws, where it really ups his level. So I think if you look at fantasy production from James Conner, it's got a potential, huge potential to go up this year. I think uh, the other running back, too, uh, Jalen Samuels, uh, I think he's a really good sleeper pick. He's not an RB1, he may be not even an RB2 at this point, but I think that he's got some breakaway speed, and I, I just like him uh, as far as, you know, maybe a change of pace back or maybe uh, a late-round flex player. I think you're just saying that because he went to NC State mile <laughs> so that's why I'm- no, thanks, I think you like him. Is why that was. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a good he's as you just pointed out he is a fantastic all around player. He can do it all. He can block. He can run the ball. He can catch as a. He played four positions at NC State: tight end, slot receiver, running back, fullback. There's a lot he can do. He played safety in in high school. So there's the upside for Jalen Samuels as a in a flex position or as a backup running back or to make it into someone's on fantasy roster as a an alternate mm-hmm. player, I think is a fantastic move. Especially as a backup if, uh, say, Connor gets hurt or something. Absolutely. Like that. You know, um, and look at the offensive line. He's going to be running exactly. behind and catching passes because that's his deal too. Right. He's a, he is not a one-dimensional player. He's many facets to his game. I want to get back to Washington because I would be remiss if I, I didn't um, think that a lot of people are wondering and they want us to comment on, on Washington. And this is a guy who came up with Jane, uh, with Mason Rudolph. And, I mean, they were um, uh, teammates at Oklahoma. It was Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. And um, 
I think when they drafted those guys together, they had a thought that down the road, because they had Mason Rudolph really as a higher pick, and we're lucky to get him where they got him, and uh, as a you know eventual replacement for Jane, uh, for Roethlisberger, although you know uh, Joshua Dobbs is right in the middle there, you know, and uh, so I don't know where that's going to go, but uh, I think Washington has all the tools, and I think he could be a uh, a breakout player. I think he could be a wide receiver too this year. I really do. Don't see why not. Uh, like I said, the, the opportunity is going to be there for him. If he doesn't grab it, it's going to be his fault because mm-hmm. he's going to get every opportunity in the preseason because the Steelers and everybody in the NFL knows that the Steelers need a solid number two receiver. Right. And they did pick up uh, Dante Moncrief, you know, uh, and uh, I'm not sure, you know, where he's going to fit in. Uh, Ryan Switzer, it, I'm hearing that Ryan Switzer and Eli um, – um, I can't think of Eli's last name. Um, Rogers, Eli Rogers, right? Uh, they're sort of the—that's the position that's on the on the cusp. One of those two guys is going to get it. Rogers is coming back from injury. Switzer is coming off a really nice progression last year, uh, and Ben really likes him. I, I know there were some key situations where he threw to him, and he came through. Um, so I think that uh, if Switzer makes the team, Rogers is going to find a job someplace, and vice versa. So I, I think that uh, both of those guys have, have a good shot. And Moncrief, I'm just not sure where he fits in. You well, know? you know, I, I, it, to get back to Switzer and Rogers and the, the, whoever's going to jump, these are typical slot type, Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, mm-hmm. um, uh, Cole Beasley type players that aren't going to be the outside, down-the-field threat. They're going to be, they're going to be working in, in between the hash marks, in between the numbers, across the middle, catching some receiver screens. That's the kind of players that they are. But as you mentioned earlier, the big question mark here really falls on James Washington. Mm-hmm. Can he be step up and be that number two every game, every down player uh, that the Steelers are going to need him to be? Tight end position. You know, the Steelers, uh, I, I read the Steelers uh, website, and everybody really? is saying, yeah, you know, it's, it's everybody <laughs> asks, you know, um, uh, Bob Labriola writes a great column, and I give him some uh, uh, some shout-out there, and he has a Q&A every week, and it's like every week, there's like at least two questions on the Steelers tight ends, and it's like they're overlooking Vance McDonald. Right. Now, the, the knock on Vance McDonald has always been he drops. Okay. You know, uh, but, you know, one of the best videos you're ever going to see last year was when he stiff arms somebody and just creams somebody after catching the ball and running down the field last year. But the guy's got speed, he's got size, he's a good pass receiver, and he's that deep threat that, you know, as a tight end, that maybe, maybe not quite a Gronk, but certainly a Jimmy Graham type, you know, in Jimmy Graham's better days. And um, I don't see them, they lost Jesse James mm-hmm. to, you know, the Lions. Um, I just don't see them not having. Uh, a good season with uh, with with um, uh, Vance McDonald. Yeah, I don't see why. Well, he had 50 catches last year. Yeah. So uh, for a tight end, that's pretty good. And and he was a, a good part of the offense. And there's no reason to think as a young player he can't up his role in that offense. And on top of that, he averaged over 12 yards a catch for a tight end. That's amazing. Right. And yeah. as I said, if they get more to the running game, mm-hmm. the guy who benefits most with a good running game in the passing game is – the play-action passes that go to the tight end. Right. You know, the, the other uh, situation with, with the Steelers is um, don't draft their kickers. 
You know, I mean, you had a situation like, you know, this is kind of funny because right. we talked about the Bears last sure. week in their kicking game. Yep. And the Steelers' kicking game, as much as I love Chris Boswell, his, he's just, a, don't, don't know where his head's at at this point and don't know where he's going to come through. He may turn out to be a really good kicker, you know, this year and have a big comeback, but he may not even make the team. They've invited other kickers and it's his job to lose, I'm hearing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't go there. You know, and there's well, too many I other think, better kickers out there. Today. Right. And I think with when you get down to kicking and defenses, for that matter, you can kind of put them in the same category. They're both late-round considerations for any, any fantasy owner because mm-hmm. there's not a whole big difference between, uh, you know, great kickers and the bottom tier of the first tier kickers. Just like there's not a great difference between, and, and you can't predict who's going to score on defense. You can have a great, right. you can have the number one defense team and statistic wise in the league and then have them not be a great fantasy defense if they don't return touchdowns and score points for you. I'm going to up that a little bit and I'll tell you why. Uh, I think you move the Steelers up defensively about uh, maybe eight or 10 slots. And the reason is J.J. Um, Watt. And they picked up their first-round pick. They traded up to get Devin Bush. And I think Devin Bush is going to make a real big difference. They Most of the defense are trained. Plus, uh, they picked up uh, cornerbacks and some defensive backs, which they really need to mm-hmm. go opposite Joe Hayden. And I think... Uh, the Steelers tied for the number one uh, lead in sacks last year, which is a big, big role. And I think that uh, with J.J. Watt there and now Devin Bush being added to that, I think they're going to uh, increase that. I think the defense is going to be a lot better. They could very well, very well be better, but fantasy-wise, will they be better? They're, that's such an impossible thing to predict. Um, if I'm draft myself, if I was drafting um, a defense – and if I took all the emotion out of it, I'm not sure I would draft. I, I'm not sure I would consider a defense until the very last pick. That's a good, good choice. Good choice. And uh, I, I. And that's I, even if I was picking the bear defense. Really? Yeah. Well, defense, you know, defense is going to average eight or nine points a game. Um, if you get more than that, that's a real positive. Um, but. You know, on a consistent basis, getting more than that is, all, is like you said, is almost impossible. It's, it just doesn't happen. Dep- you know, um, depends on how your league rates defenses. I mean, do you put more emphasis on sacks? Most leagues will give you two points for a sack, uh, two points for an interception, uh, maybe four points for um, uh, a pick six. You know, which I think to well, me. Well, then maybe I will take the Bears defense yeah, a little higher. You know, the thing about <laughs> I, I think, you know, and we're going to step out of the box here a little bit. Um, when it comes to pick to making a defense, I think to give a pick six four points is absolutely absurd. I think you have to give it not only six, but in my uh, dynasty league, we give it eight. And I'll tell you why, because. It is the most demoralizing thing to have a pick six, especially if you're going, you're on inside the 30. You're inside the 30, you're driving down, and all of a sudden, it's six points the other way. That's a 12-point swing. That's not a six-point swing. It's a 12-point swing. It should be eight points, you know, uh, two plus six or whatever you want to give it. And I think that fantasy leagues that that cheapen the defense, because defense is one-third of the game. And actually, in fantasy, 
it's two-thirds of the game because the kicking game also, you get the return teams on the defense uh, as well as the punting and everything else. So that all ends up in your fantasy defense. Uh, you have a kicker separate, but you still get credit for the return game, which, you know, granted the kickoff return game is non-existent now, uh, but the punt return game is still there. So uh, let's move on to the Browns. Uh, we mentioned earlier that the Browns are... Um, the preseason favorite. Uh, they should have been the preseason favorite for years, having all the draft picks they've had, finishing last all the time. Well, they had to win a game for it. <laughs> That's <so>. true. You <laughs> know, there was that one little holdup there for yeah. a year or so. But you know, they just um, they just went hog wild this year, uh, picking up Beckham uh, to go along with um, uh, Baker Mayfield. And I want to start at the quarterback position because uh, I'm not sold on Baker Mayfield yet because I still have a bad taste in my mouth for um, Tim Tebow, who I predicted the day he came out of college that he was, was not going to make it into pros. Yeah, and well, I, you were right about I, that. I was right on the money. And um, I'm, I think Baker Mayfield is better. I'm just not sure where he fits in uh, to the whole thing. And so you tell me, what Baker Mayfield to you? Well, I would say I wasn't sold on Baker Mayfield a whole lot either, although I didn't see him play a whole bunch last year. Now that I've watched a little bit of his, uh, not just his highlights, but um, just the team's highlights from last year, he played very consistently. And if you look at his numbers as a rookie quarterback, he broke every record there was. And he did not make a lot of mistakes. He threw and, and didn't play a 16-game season himself. I think he played, what, 13 or 14 games. Mm -hmm. and still less threw, than 500 passes. Still right. threw 27 touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, so if you, if you take into consideration, this is going to be now his second year in that same system. And they've not only got Jarvis Landry and they now picked up Eldo Beckham Jr. And they've got, uh, Nick Chubb and they've got a whole lot of weapons. Duke Johnson's still there. A whole yeah. lot of weapons offensively. Um, uh, an excellent offensive line. And how could he not be better? You know, it's one of those things uh, that, you know, he's short, if I remember right, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's always been a so. knock on him. Yeah. And, um, but now Drew Brees is short. Yeah. I'm short. Well, you're not that short. I'm 6'1". Well, you're taller than me. Well, I'm just... You know, I play quarterback, too. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? Well, well you know, it was, Saturday, it was Saturday afternoon. It wasn't Sunday without pads. It was... Tackle football, right, right. but you know, I, I threw my share of interceptions more than touchdowns. But that, you know, that's how that's decision making. That's <laughs> with height. Um, oh, with he's got, like you mentioned, let's start with the receivers uh, because you know I want to get the Beckham separate. Let's talk about the other guys at the moment. You mentioned Jarvis Landry, uh, and you mentioned we mentioned Duke Johnson. These are guys who are you know Duke Johnson wants to be traded, but it ain't going to happen. I don't think right away. Yeah, it's uh, not going to happen. Period. Right, and and. Um, Galloway, who was there. Yep. You know, so. Um, don't forget the tight end, David Njoku. That's I true. I mean, he was, uh, I don't know what, a rookie or second year last season, but he had 56 catches. Yeah, uh, for 11-4. You know, another guy like McDonald who's over 10 yards a catch. Yeah. And, and you know, and you look at Mayfield who only threw, you know, less than, what do you say, less than 500 passes but still threw 27 touchdowns. Uh, I, I think that their receiving core is good. I think that Beckham makes it that much better. No doubt. And, and you just mentioned uh, Antonio Galloway, and I mentioned the tight end in Joku. And don't forget, 
They've got Freddie Kitchens, who himself is going to be calling the plays, mm-hmm. uh, a quarterback coach. They've got a new offensive coordinator who comes out of this air raid college offense. Right. So they're go- if you're Baker Mayfield or if you're a in a fantasy league thinking about drafting a quarterback, um, once Patrick Mahomes and the Roethlisberger's and the guys like that go off the board, in that second, third, fourth round, go go pick Baker Mayfield. Why not? Yeah. I would think, you know, he may last till the second or third round. Sure. You know, because— He, he will a, last until the yeah. second or third round. I think uh, there's a good shot for him. Even if he's not going to start for you, he would be a good alternative. Um, because I just think the Browns are going to play that much better this year. Now, they are in a tough division. You know, the uh, AFC North is one of the most competitive divisions I think there is um, with, with the Ravens. And, and I think the Bengals will be better. I think the Steelers will be better. And, of course, the Browns are going to be better. Um, and I say that now, but they're the Browns. So, um, but let's talk about Beckham. Because, um, first of all, I think it, it shocked the football world that Beckham went to the Browns. Am I right there? I think it shocked the football world that Beckham went anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Giants let him somehow get away makes no sense to me or a lot of other people following this. Why do you think that happened? I, I mean, have no idea. You know, I mean, he's, he, you know, New York's a tough place to play. And he handled it, I thought, fairly well for a flamboyant player, mm-hmm. you know, uh, who, you know, maybe like a Terrell Owens or, or it's just somebody who, who is kind of um, not – um, conventional uh, personality wise right. and 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 uh, well, exactly but if you what has Odell Beckham jr. done to alienate himself from the Giants I don't see anything as zero as a player zero now so I don't know why that happened um, why they let uh, uh, Vernon Olivier get away mm-hmm. no idea about that either but they I wouldn't even cons- I, I wouldn't try to figure out why Odell Beckham came to the Browns. Just the fact that they now have him. Great, he's one of many weapons they now have offensively. Is that a learning experience that's going to take a year between uh, Baker Mayfield, a new young quarterback, and Odell Beckham Jr., a uh, new, older, established, maybe in his ways wide receiver who becomes the number one target who's doubled all the time? No, I don't think so. Nope, because they've got Jarvis Landry, who Beckham was a college teammate of, Mm -hmm. uh, and they've got a coach. They've got John Dorsey, the general manager, Freddie Kitchens, the head coach, and and an offensive staff that are dedicated to – whatever is best for the team and winning football games is what we're going to do. And if you, as a personality, don't fit into that, you won't be playing. They don't care if it's Odell Beckham Jr. or not. So if he comes in and tries to do things his own way, which I don't think he will, Mm -hmm. then he will find himself on the outside looking in. But I don't see that as going to – that's not going to be an issue. You look at this as a fresh start for him. For sure. And I I don't think he needs a fresh start. I think he was great with the Giants. I think he'll be great with the Browns. Glad to hear that because he's on my uh, on my team. Has been for years. <laughs> you know, I, very uh, good. When we uh, were drafting, uh, of course, in my, my league it's a dynasty league, and, and we uh, draft uh, rookies usually right up front because we keep like nine players. Um, and the first round drafts are always rookies, except for unless there's somebody out there that's just kind of snuck out there and is available. But uh, and I 
I did my research on him, and I also did it on uh, DeAndre Hopkins. And I think I picked him up the same year. And, I, and somebody told me on DeAndre Hopkins, ah, it's always going to be about the other guy. And I said, no, this guy's going to take over. And I was right. right. And Beckham, I said, the same, I'm taking Beckham. i got to have this well, guy. You know? don't forget who's coming to this team at the midway point in the season. Oh, Kareem yeah. Hunt. Yep. That was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Because Kareem Hunt, that could be really good or it could be really bad. First of all. How could it be really bad? Well, I mean, you've got Nick Chubb who gained almost 1,000 yards last year. Fine. And you've got that establishment. He's going to be there for eight games. Let's Remember, say he has Kareem a great Hunt year. had another – they had Tariq Hill too. Yeah, but at the same time, Kareem Hunt's coming off this personality issue, uh, personal issues, that, you know, where does that fit in? Um, because that is something I think over the last 20 years that's become a big issue in the NFL, uh, even more so the last 10 uh, with the, you know, the Me Too movement and everything else. Does he come in accepted right away and fit right in, or does he come in and have to prove himself? What I think John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens are going to do is, have already done, is prior to Kareem Hunt coming to the Browns, they established very right away that the only way, Kareem, you're coming here is if this is a one-time incident in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. Done. So if, uh, if Kareem Hunt acts in such a way that he becomes an issue even without an off-field incident, I think there's going, that's going to send up a red flag to the upper management with the Cleveland Browns, that this could be a potential issue. So I don't think, I think if football means anything to Kareem Hunt, there won't be any off-the-field incidents to consider for the Browns. Sounds good to me. Uh, I mean, I'd like to see the guy come that strong. I would like to see him. But where does that leave Nick Chubb? Being Nick Chubb, doing exactly the things he did last year and will continue to do, if you can project, project, Nick Chubb as a fantasy football player for the next four or five years. Um, he's going to do exactly what he did last year. When you add a Kareem Hunt to the mix, that's going to, I think, alleviate some of the pressure on what would have been pressure to Nick Chubb if he was the only back in the backfield. Is there any reason to even think about the Browns' defense? In terms of? Fantasy. Yeah. What's not to consider? Okay, take this a is a playmaking defensive unit. Uh, you've got playmakers all over the field, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward. Um, you've, you've got uh, Olivier Vernon, who's a sack specialist. They've, you've got, what don't you have on that defense? Last year they sucked. Okay, but they are a young defensive unit who's got plenty of playmakers up and coming. They're loaded. Defensive so, defensive lines loaded. Linebackers. So, so what secondary. you're saying is this is a, a a defense that could feed off the offense. No doubt. There. Think back to what the Colts used to be mm -hmm. when Peyton Manning was there. Right. Okay. Offensively, they were a pinball machine. Defensively, that opened the door. They're going to be playing with the lead the entire game. That's going to force the other team into throwing. Sacks and interceptions all went up. Good insight. I like it. Very much. So there you have it, fantasy folks. 
Eric says the Cleveland Browns defense suck last year, but they're going to be much better this year. You took it from an expert. Hey, we're going to talk about uh, the Ravens next. Uh, we're going to go there, but first of all, let me tell you that, um, you know, I'm an author, and uh, I'd really, really like you to uh, pick up one of my books. I, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's called, um, uh, why can I never remember <laughs> Tales of My Baseball Youth. <laughs> Tales of My Baseball Youth, The Child of the 60s. And basically, it's a book about relationships. It's, it's a fun read. And if you're listening to this fantasy football foot, uh, uh, podcast, I know for a fact that you played some sports growing up. And whether you were playing fantasy, you were out there in the alley playing so, uh, wiffle ball or whatever you were doing, Little League, you know, whatever, Pop Warner, whatever it was, you had relationships. And the thing about the book I wrote, uh, Tales of My Baseball Youth, it's a relationship book. And it's all centered around baseball and growing up in the 60s, but it's relationships with moms, with dads, with coaches, with, you know, friends, uh, good and bad, up and down, and uh, the learning of life. And I think you'll really enjoy it. So you can pick it up on Amazon. You can do a Kindle version, or you can go to bobbrillbooks.com uh, and pick it up there. Uh, wherever you want to, wherever you buy your books, uh, um, on Kindle or uh, paper back or whatever, you can pick it up. And all you have to do is um, you can Google, go to Amazon, just Google my name, Bob Brill, and all my books will come up because I've written uh, nine other books. If you're a fan of uh, Western um, uh, fiction, then uh, you'll enjoy my Lancer here with the West series. There's five books there. Uh, so anyway, just do that. Have a good time and uh, send us an email too. Uh, you can uh, reach me and you can go to the website and find uh, my email as well. But you can reach me at Bob Brill fantasyfootball at gmail.com. You can do that. Or uh, you can uh, just go to our website, uh, kramerandbrill.com, and uh, find out some contact information for us there. We're going to uh, continue with our look at the AFC uh, North, which is a very competitive division, the Steelers, the Browns, the Bengals, and the Ravens. Now, the Ravens are one of those teams that every year just seems to make things happen. Uh, you always think they're dead in the water, and all of a sudden their defense knocks half the, uh, half the other team's offense to and sends them to the IR. Um, it's a team that uh, last year finished with a 10-7 and record, 3-3 uh, three and three in the division, and uh, they came up with a really, really big change last year, and that was they got rid of Joe Flacco, replaced by Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson, I think everybody knew coming out of college, could be a real star and might be one of these new contemporary quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes or Baker Mayfield and uh, some of the others. A uh, uh, guy who uh, scrambles a lot, a guy who runs a lot, who has those other dimensions. Uh, and he really took over this team, right? He did. And they won, what, six out of the games, six out of the seven games he started. So he's a, as you were talking about trying to. F compare him to another quarterback, um, you know, he is a dual-threat quarterback. What he's, he led the league um, for all quarterbacks in rushing, having only played seven games. So if you project that out over a 16-game season, now they've starting to build the offense around him. They've added pieces around him within the draft. they got a couple downfield threats and receivers and Miles Borkin and Hollywood Brown. And he's got to improve his efficiency as a passer, which I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. And another addition that they brought in was uh, they they 
got rid of Marty Morningweg, the offensive coordinator, and replaced him with Greg Roman, who had put together a similar type of offense back with the 49ers when Roman was there coaching Colin Kaepernick. Mm. So I think the upside potential to Lamar Jackson just within this division is huge. This kid all, ran for almost 700 yards. Yep, yep, <laughs> and dynamic, you know, and he's, uh, they ran into some issues in the playoff game against the Chargers, but th- at the same time, you know, he's still a young quarterback experience-wise. And now that he's going to have a full offseason as a starter, they're building, uh, from a personnel standpoint, they're building this team around him now. They're starting, t- they brought in, like I said, Greg Roman is now the new offensive coordinator. And things are going to be tailored around what he can do well, meaning uh, Lamar Jackson offensively. And as you mentioned earlier, the Ravens have always had an outstanding defense. There's no reason to think that they can't compete for another division title. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I likened him to this new crop of quarterbacks, Mahomes, who obviously is off the charts. So probably the B. I would the say a one. different type of quarterback okay. than Patrick Mahomes. Uh, more like Baker Mayfield? A little bit, yeah, but more dynamic runner than ba- mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield. So, um, you know, if you compare him to any quarterback playing today, um, I would have to, I, I haven't done enough thinking about that to compare him, but, you know, he's a better passer than, say, Michael Vick. Mm-hmm. Along those same lines, athletically and as a runner, as Michael Vick. Um, so I think... You know, we're going to see. It's really hard to predict, but Lamar Jackson is one of those quarterbacks who I believe I would I would not feel bad if he landed. If I had a choice to take Lamar Jackson, say, if, if um, I wouldn't take him over Drew Brees mm-hmm. as a fantasy quarterback, right. but I might take him over, I might take him over Baker Mayfield hmm. um, because I think uh, – while Baker Mayfield's going to be a dynamic quarterback, I believe he's also very young. They've also got to figure out how are we going to not get in shootouts right. where we're giving up 40 points and trying to score 41. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think the Ravens already have a dynamic defense. And Lamar Jackson has to come in and basically just do what he did last year, only a little bit more efficiently. I think he lasts till the fourth round or fifth round, or has he gone by the third round? No, I think he'll be there in the fourth round. Yeah, we're talking basically 12 team league, yeah. so the 36 pick. Yeah, I don't see why he, he might even last a little bit, a little bit longer than that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as you know, putting these fantasy teams together, you're, you're the biggest – your biggest uh, weapon is going to be a running back and maybe two mm-hmm. and a receiver. And a receiver, yeah. Especially and, with, and so, in, especially cor- in um, uh, points per uh, PPR leagues. Yeah, and the more dynamic quarterbacks are going to go early, the more mm-hmm. established ones. So, I, Lamar Jackson could very easily be there in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. Now, receiver wise, uh, you know, they lost Michael Crabtree. Um, they got uh, rid of Michael Crabtree. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, John Brown was one of those guys that I just – I thought coming out of college he was going to be a stud. It just hasn't happened. You know? Right, and that's why I think they went ahead and drafted uh, Hollywood Brown and Miles Borgen because they, they want some young, explosive, down-the-field threats, bigger-type receivers, although Hollywood Brown's not big, but Miles mm-hmm. Borgen is. Right. And, um, you know, they – I think – 
don't, Lamar Jackson himself is a dual threat weapon. He adds to their running game. So you can't just, fa- you, you, you know, uh, who was it? Gus Edwards took over the running back position last year, but they also added Mark Ingram. So you can't just focus on the running backs as the only threat in the running game. The quarterback's a big threat as well. Well, they also, you know, have a couple other young guys, too. I think they're kind of waiting to come up, and that's uh, Jalil Scott and uh, Jordan um, uh, Lasley. So, I mean, they are kind of deep with young wide receivers, and I'm wondering uh, where a guy like Willie Sneed fits in. Well, he led the team in receptions last year. That's where he fits in. He's... Um, He's, but at 62, that, you know, 62 receptions, that's not saying a lot. Well, what it's saying is they don't have a dynamic quarterback. Otherwise, we'd have had more. That's true. Because they only average 10.5 yards a catch, which for your top wide receiver is not, not that great. It wouldn't surprise me this year if one of the younger players, uh, you know, Willie Seed still might lead the, rece- mm-hmm. lead the team of receptions this year. But I don't see them – I don't see Lamar Jackson uh, throwing the ball – 550 times this year. I see him maybe throwing the ball under 500. Okay. And I see him possibly being a guy that might pass for, say, 2,800 yards. But he could run for 1,200 yards. Right. So uh, no problem. And their, their leading receiver still could be a guy that ends up with under 100 catches. So, but they, I think they'll spread the ball around. Remember Mark Andrews is their tight end. Mm-hmm. Who himself, you know, he's a weapon. So they're going to have a few weapons down the field, and hard. They're they're an offense. I think that's hard to predict, but I think they're going to win a lot of games based on the fact that they they've got a solid defense and they're going to be, I think, more efficient offensively. When it comes to uh, the running back position, um, what are we looking at? There? I mean, we're looking at uh, Gus Edwards, who gained. 700 yards last year. Um, and, uh, you know, they've moved on from a couple of guys that were there, like, forever. Uh, a couple of other guys are just gone. Mm-hmm. What are we looking at as far as their running game? Uh, I mean, obviously. Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that's that's who we're looking say. at as their running he, game. He's the lead runner, you know. Who knows? who Before this podcast, who knows Gus Edwards? Mm-hmm. Nobody. Right. So, uh, and they got Mark Ingram, to, who's had some very success. Two out of the last three years, he's gone over 1,000 yards. So they've got three, if you, if, and you've got to consider Lamar Jackson as a running back. They've got three solid running guys that can carry the ball. And Lamar Jackson is a home run threat as a quarterback in the running game. Then comes the big question. How long does he last? You know, because those guys, you know, it's, they become targets. They get that open field, especially younger guys. Sometimes they... Uh, try to stretch things out, and they end up on IR. Sometimes. Not as often as you would think, though. Um, and I don't consider Lamar Jackson a health risk as when he gets the ball in his hands running because mm-hmm. he didn't get hurt. He didn't get hurt in college. Mm-hmm. Why is he going to get hurt now? He didn't get hurt last year. So well, By your own admission, though, the game's much faster. But where did he get hurt? I coach youth football. Mm-hmm. Young athletic kids. Everyone, my kid's so small, he's going to get hurt. Well, no, he didn't. You can't find him. <laughs> no, you got to catch him first. So Lamar Jackson's going to be just fine. I think, um, you know, he only completed fifty-eight percent of his throws last year. Right. So if he gets up to 64 percent, most of the throws he's making are on the run. 
They're off of play-action passes. They're one read, or if his read's not open, run the ball. I think you're going to see his efficiency as a quarterback in the passing game go up. Sort of like the same thing with Mahomes. I mean, like we said, I think Mahomes is a more dynamic player at this point. But throws on the run. Yeah, and throws on the run. He's more of a traditional pocket passer Mm -hmm. that is elusive when he wants to be. Mm -hmm. They don't design runs a lot for Patrick Mahomes. They do design runs a lot for Lamar Jackson. Jackson, Yeah. Defense. Um, Mentioned the Ravens always have a really good one. Uh, They were a little bit upside down on the turnover ratios last year, but they were up there in sacks too. But they were still, you know, the uh, uh, one of the top defenses around. Um, Where would you rate them if you rated the Bears number one? uh, Where would you rate the Ravens' defense? Top five? One A. One A? Because they were number one in the league last year for mm-hmm. a good, for a portion of it. Now, they lost three great linebackers. Right. Terrell Suggs being one of them, but they, Terrell Suggs is 36 years old. Right. And um, I can't remember the names of the other two guys they lost. Uh, was it uh, Zadarius Smith was one of them. And... Um, uh, their leading tackle, I can't remember what his name is right now, but he also left. So Eric they, Weedle lost, uh, left too. C.J. Mosley yeah. left. Yes. And Eric Weddle lost, but they upgraded. So they lost yeah. Eric Weddle, but they got, uh, who was um, the guy from Seattle? Um, so defensively, they've still got a great up uh, defensive front. Um, they Or Thomas is who they got in secondary. So, yeah, they've got playmakers still. They're not going anywhere on defense. And uh, that's what I think is going to be their backbone as a team is their defense is going to get their offense the ball back. They're not going to give up a lot of points. If the defense can move the ball, play ball control, and still make dynamic plays, which they've got, they upgraded their speed this offseason offensively. Um, they're going to be a top. They're going to have some top players in fantasy. Um, but Ingram, I, I, I really uh, think it's going to be a ad, nice added addition to them. Yeah, uh, you know, especially on the uh, in the goal line stuff. You know, Short yardage, goal line. He mm-hmm. he's an outstanding receiver of the ball. He's got good vision. He's not an eighty yard breakaway threat, but he's a good 10, 15, 20 yard threat. He's also a great short yardage pickup guy. Mm-hmm. If you need four yards on second and four, he'll get you six or seven or eight. I, I think he keeps the chains moving. Yeah, keeps I your th- offense on the field. Do you think he's going to be the uh, the up close uh, touchdown guy? Because that's a that's a you know when you're looking at fantasy, you know a lot of guys are looking for that guy who's who's uh, the, the the touchdown maker, the guy who's the short yardage guy that they're going to throw in uh, on uh, second and two, third and two to you know try to push the line forward and move it over. Potentially, yes, he could be a great uh, you know addition to them uh, around the goal line. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. You most teams don't have. Two running backs in the backfield at the same time. Right. The dynamic running backs. Well, I, you know, I like Jackson too. And I think you could be right there because he may be that guy but just because of the, the drop back pass scramble. The, you know, what we used, what, what did we used to call the play where you drop back and all of a sudden you take off? Quarterback draw. Well, yeah, draw. That's what I'm saying. So, but Lamar Jackson is, he's, the, they will feature in their running game. I guarantee this where the running back 
comes across the, the for, um, you know, goes to get the handoff coming across in front of the quarterback across the formation. Mm-hmm. If Lamar Jackson sees that backside defensive end crash down, I, 100% of the time he's pulling it out and walking into the end zone. So it, um, can Mark Ingram, can Gus Edwards add to Yes, they will. No doubt. Their offensive line is excellent. They're going to be blocking and opening some big holes for these guys. But, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson in seven games had had three touchdowns last year himself. So now that they're going to design this offense around him, that production is going to go up in in the running game, not only just out between the 20s, but in the red zone too. I think you've settled on something that I think fantasy owners really want to hear, and that is – Mark Ingram is not the guy at the goal line. It's going to be Lamar Jackson. And I, I think that's really an important thing. You know, occasionally you come up with, I don't mean you, I mean we come up with these nuggets and we talk about fantasy football that are those little things that mean, that make the difference between a guy drafting a certain player. Because you're always looking for that touchdown guy. And, you know, you want to put you want to put this guy in as a flex player usually. And you're sitting there saying, okay, do I put a guy who's a wide receiver who maybe is going to catch six or seven balls during the game, if that much, versus a guy like who I think Mark Ingram is going to be the touchdown maker. Mm-hmm. And you've just settled that for me in saying, no, that's not the reason to draft Mark Ingram. And leave him out there. You know, if something happens down the road, you can pick him up later on because he's not going to probably not going to get drafted by you know over seventy percent of the, the the leagues. Let's move over to the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals, a team that um, it seems like perennially, perennially, you know the word I'm looking for, <laughs> perennially is in transition. And uh, I actually, you know, want to start. Instead of at the quarterback spot, I want to start at the running back spot, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon was highly rated coming out of college. I mean, here's a guy that um, last year ran for 1,100 yards, averaged 4.9, and he's no slouch. Is he the guy that is going to make this team run? And I, I mean run in a, a general fashion, mm-hmm. not, not run with his legs. Is he, gonna make, is he the guy that's going to make this team progress? Or is it Andy Dalton and is Andy Dalton done? Andy Dalton's not done. But the guy that's going to make this team progress is neither one of them. It's Zach Taylor. So it's, it's their new head coach who has, you know, was most recently with the Rams on that Super Bowl run mm-hmm. last year. He, he has grown underneath some very good offensive minds, most notably Sean McVay, Sean McVay mm-hmm. who in this new NFL – Everybody wants that new dynamic play caller as their head coach. So um, Zach Taylor, I think, is going to bring in a new fresh outlook and attitude and playbook. And he's going to, just by being there and, and crafting up what he does, is going to make people like Joe Mixon and Andy Dalton and A.J. Green in Eifert, in that whole group offensively, he's going to make them more dynamic just by what he does as a coach. Well, let's talk about uh, the running game. Um, when you look at Mixon, like I said, he's an established star. Uh, and a young one. Yeah. And you do you see that continuing? Do you put him uh, top five running backs? I mean, you've got Kamara, you've got Chuckle Barkley. Um, do you see Mixon top five or top ten? I, well, he was the most, with the opportunities he had last year, he had 
nearly a five yard per carry average, which was what tops in the AFC, I think. So, and he's got uh, great hands coming out of the backfield. Forty-three catches too. Um, his and he, what was his second year? Mm-hmm. He's and now he's got a dynamic play caller coming in and is going to shape an offense around what he can do best, what the passing, how he can best fit into that whole scheme of what is in Zach Taylor's mind and has other key components around him. So I think Joe Mixon, his production this year will go up, if anything. I like Joe Mixon. I have a lot since he came out of college. The other guy that I really like on this team is just, unfortunately, I think his time has passed, and that's Giovanni Bernard. Uh, Giovanni Bernard was such a dynamic pass catcher, and he still caught 35 passes last year in a really a part-time role. Um, well, he was he was part time because he was banged up a lot. Yeah, he was. He was not healthy last no, year. No, which, uh, which early is, in the season he didn't play very much. Right, but which is the sort of 2018 theme of the Bengals? Mm-hmm. Andy Dalton was hurt. Right, their offensive line was hurt. The, um, Giovanni Bernard was hurt. They had defensive players that were hurt. So. Uh, they were, as the Bears, we talked about uh, in the last week, were one of the healthier teams. The ba- just the opposite was true for the Bengals. That's an, I think for either team, the Bears aren't going to be as healthy and the Bengals aren't going to be as banged up as they were last year. I like uh, the fact that um, they've stuck with um, uh, Andy Dalton. I- I've never been an Andy Dalton fan. Uh, I just... Thought he was, to be very honest with you, and uh, no offense meant, I just thought he was pedestrian. I've never really seen Andy Dalton stand out. Maybe that was because of the coaching scheme. Maybe that was because of, you know, the cast around him, although mm-hmm. I thought he's, he's had some very strong cast. Uh, I just don't think he is the – he would never start for me, let's put it that way. If I had a choice of picking Andy Dalton – or another pedestrian quarterback who's been around for different teams. I would pick the other quarterback. I just, just I, never felt good about it. I would say the same thing except for this year, Andy Dalton has Zach Taylor as the head coach. He's got Brian Callahan as the offensive coordinator, another West Coast guy. Um, I have a feeling Andy Dalton, if he can stay healthy this year, as opposed to any other of Andy Dalton's years, could be his best. He's got a fantastic, dynamic uh, crew of athletes around him. And I think he himself is a pretty good athlete. He's a good thrower of the football. He can, he can read defense as well. He occasionally will make some just erratic decisions mm-hmm. and throws. But I have a feeling that this offseason for him is going to weed a lot of that decision, poor decision-making out. He's not a bad decision-maker as a whole. He just runs into certain spurts where he does not make great choices. But I think that's going to get alleviated this year. That's my prediction. I can't guarantee it, but that's my prediction. Think he is a fifth-rounder, sixth-rounder, or sooner? I. It would not surprise me if nobody drafts Andy mm-hmm. Dalton this year in fantasy. He might be one of those players that, People get, if they see him start out two, three, four games into the season and, and each of those games he does well, he then could be picked up and then brought in as a replacement to somebody's already good quarterback 
who might have gotten injured or might be coming up against a touch stretch of, stretch of defenses where you might want to Andy, look at, say, hey, Andy Dalton's playing well, and he's got some favorable matchups coming up in the next two, three, four weeks. Wide receivers, these guys are loaded. Uh, I mean, uh, Tyler Boyd, uh, A.J. Green, one of the best mm-hmm. in the business. And, and A.J. Green's production was off last year. Because he was He hurt. was injured, too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, only 49 catches. But, you know, both guys caught, uh, you know, I mean, A.J. Green was at 15-1, 13 plus for, for Tyler Boyd. And, of course, you mentioned the tight end, you know, Eifert. And um, I, I just think that uh, wide receiver-wise, this is a team that – I don't want to say it's driven by the wide receivers, but, boy, they, you fear them going into a game because those guys can, are just, just breakout guys. And, and you had a, a breakout player in, in uh, the, the uh, third-year uh, guy. That, would, that, of course, would be Boyd. Well, that's – yes. You've got all these weapons, as we've been talking about, around Andy Dalton, and yet Andy Dalton could be the weak link. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, great – because I think Andy Dalton's production, his decision-making, he's, I think, a fairly accurate thrower. Uh, I think he threw, what, 65 66% last year and has been sort of in that, in or near that level every year. And I think it's going to grow this year. So, as you mentioned, Tyler Boyd and a healthy A.J. Green and um, Eifert and and Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard, these guys are all their levels are going to, their production levels are going to grow and increase as well. And like you said, it, it, I think it is a team driven by its receiving core in terms of offensively how they produce, how they stay involved in ball games, and how they either win or lose, I think is in large part their receiving core. As we wrap this up, give me the best player. Uh, who's your number one pick, the best pick of anybody in this division? Huh. <laughs> well, I'd say it's either going to be uh, Ben Roethlisberger or the best value pick I see could be Lamar Jackson. Oh, very good. I see the best value pick as Joe Mixon, and I agree with you on Roethlisberger. I, uh, you know, and that that there's a little bias there. I have to admit, but uh, I just think that. Ben has the most consistent of the uh, possibilities um, going into what the seventeenth year, I think. Yes, yeah. yeah. and I think there everybody else in the division who I can name uh, has you know some sort of you know inconsistency. So I'll stick with that. All right. Well, you know, uh, you've been listening to Kramer and Brill, your weekly fantasy football podcast with former NFL quarterback Eric Kramer and award-winning sports broadcaster and fantasy football guru Bob Brill. So join us next time each Thursday night for Kramer and Brill. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can link from our website, KramerandBrill.com. Next week, we're going to look at the NFC West. That's the Rams uh, and uh, all the rest of that very, very powerful division. For Kramer, I'm Bob Brill, reminding you to come back for more Fantasy Football Insights.